Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whittle, and this is episode number 14. Here on Take Flight, we speak with high achievers and high performers and dive into their stories to learn what they feel led to their success. So we can take these tips away and try them in our own lives. It's all about finding our best self, becoming the best version of ourselves, and ultimately taking flight in whatever it is that we're doing. I'm excited to share this one with you. This week, we sit down with none other than Luke Ambler. Luke is a public speaker and has been sharing the message of his What's Next talk, which we talk about a lot in this episode. We talk all about the concept, the ideas, where it came from. Luke is the founder and probably what he's most famous for. He is the founder of Andy's Man Club. And if you don't recognize the name, you will certainly recognize the campaign. And I don't want to give too much away, but Luke launched the It's Okay to Talk campaign, encouraging people with mental health to speak up about their problems, their struggles, and start overcoming those obstacles. He took a simple selfie giving the okay sign with some stats on mental health and four weeks later it blew up, it went crazy, reached over 100 million people and led to the likes of Katie Price, Ricky Gervais and the Royal Family getting involved and helping out and supporting the cause. It really goes to show the success you can have with a genuine message adding real value to people's lives. Luke was also an ex-professional rugby player playing for Salford, Red Devils, Leeds Rhinos, Halifax and internationally with Ireland. But most recently, Luke has launched his brand new journal, the BU Journal. Now, I've been journaling a little while myself, about a couple of years now, and I find it super beneficial. It's so helpful, and I've been using Luke's BU Journal for the last two weeks, and I love it. It's, it's great. It gives me so much more flexibility than other journals I've used in the past, much more space to write and be more creative and kind of stay away from that structured three bullet point goal setting or three pieces of gratitude, whatever it might be. This gives me much more flexibility to talk more about what I want to do that day, more about what I'm grateful for and be much more clear on the kind of things that I'm trying to do. So if you're looking for clarity, you're looking to be more organised on a daily basis or you already journal, then you're going to love this one. We talk a lot about it in this episode, so hopefully you get some ideas that you can take away. Before we get into it, I think it's worth mentioning that we all have a feeling as human beings. We all have an instinct when we meet someone and we can usually decide within a few seconds if we're going to get on with that person or whether we like them. From the very first moment I sat down with Luke, we hit it off, we clicked immediately, we got pretty deep into some conversation straight away over dinner, and I think you can hear at the start of this episode, we go straight into that kind of chat again. So I'm hoping that you're going to enjoy this conversation. I absolutely loved it. We talk a lot about mental health, we talk a lot about achievement, performance, there's a bit of storytelling in there, and to be honest with you, I got a little bit emotional listening back to this episode. Uh, There's some great stuff that Luke talks about, some great ideas, some concepts that you can take away. And, and I'm going to be using them, so hopefully you guys will too. Once again, you can follow me at WhittleTakeFlight, flight spelled F-L-1-G-H-T on Instagram, where we'll talk book suggestions, life advice, routines, habits, all that kind of stuff. You can follow Luke at Luke Ambler, and please share anything that you find helpful. I love hearing about people who are pushing themselves forward, and I love hearing that the podcast is helping. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy a conversation with hugely inspiring hugely motivational and just a top top guy Luke Ambler you're going to introduce it we we'll just um, can I introduce yeah I do hey guys we are just sitting down and we're about to record the uh, an episode of what's called the Take Flight podcast the podcast that I launched in January where we talk all things high performance uh, and I spoke with uh, Luke a little while ago, a few months ago, and we've managed to connect tonight and sit down and have a little bit of a bite to eat and a coffee. And we are just about to set up and uh, and start this episode and start recording. So 
Luke suggested doing Facebook Live. So uh, here we are. There we are. Listening, um, great guy here. Um, he's got an amazing podcast. I'm privileged to be on it. So I thought we'd share it live so it's real and raw, unedited. Uh, if you've got any questions, do put them on. I think we're going to get them in the end, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. Quite a few on as well already. So Yeah, ask any questions. We'll probably be sitting here. It depends how much time you've got as well, but we normally yeah. do about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, let's go. So uh, any questions you want asking during the conversation, please uh, please join in and we'll ask them when we get towards the end. Luke, welcome to the Take Fight podcast. Thanks for having me. No, mate, it's brilliant. Thanks so much for your time. We've, uh, we've been meaning to get this time together for a little while. So uh, it's actually a bit of a strange one. A friend of mine... Don't know if you remember, but Gosh, yeah. yeah, that's how it came about. A friend of mine, Ben Beavers, a guy who I used to work with in one of my old companies, lives and is from Halifax yes. and saw you in the gym, recognised you, went over, introduced himself, and then called me within like two minutes and was like, just met a guy called Luke Ambler, you'd love to meet him. I think you get on with him really, really well. So Yeah, I remember that now looking back. I, yeah. I think it where did the they said did you come? And um, yeah, he did. I remember being at DW in Halifax and he yeah. came up and said I've got a, a guy on um you need it on his podcast yeah. so here we are. <laughs> just to give a bit of a recap again this is a high performance podcast so we talk about kind of the tips and tricks and, and maybe some stories and the reasons you feel that you've been successful and got to where you are there's a ton of things I want to talk to you about we've been talking a little bit already about We're some deep, of your, we already, we've yeah. gone deep already yeah we had a salad we've been healthy we have we have but yeah really enjoyed it so I can't wait to get into the full chat and, and have the full conversation 100%. so Mate, we normally start with a, a relatively easy one. If you could just give us a bit of a background around who Luke Ambler is, what it is that you do, that would be great. First and foremost, a dad, father. I think that's my main job title. I'd like to say, you know, my main role in life is being a father. And then an ex-professional rugby league player. I had a career, you know, for, for 10, 12 years as a professional rugby player, which we you know were a great time in my life. And now, you know, I'm a... I voluntary run a charity and also have a, a business in, in speaking and training. So you have a variety of different areas that are completely different, you know, worlds apart from being a dad to just coming out of prison working. Yeah. That was today. So, um, yeah, it's just um, a complete world apart. Yeah. Do you know what? I love that answer already because you're the first person that said a dad. And there's been oh, a really? lot of fathers on here. So, yeah. So just to give a little bit more context then to what it is that you do, what would a typical working week look like? I'll give you last week. Okay. Um, I'll give you last week and next week because they are quite contrasting. So yeah. last week, Monday I woke up, went and delivered to a primary school a day of well-being and mindset all day yeah. in a primary school. And then that night, um, set off down to Birmingham. Uh, sorry, I attended Andy's Man Club over in Wakefield. And then the next day I got up, went out to Birmingham, spoke at a really big conference for HMPPS, so Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, to all their wellbeing champions. So, you know, prisons from all over the country. Wow. Our, um, the speaker that closed the day there, which were a big, big event, a couple of two, three hundred people. I then jumped in my car, went down to Thameside Prison, where I did peer groups and also played touch rugby with prisoners in the middle of London City, which was just, you know, mind-blowing. Drove back up north. Thursday, I delivered on the NCS programme to 16-year-old young people, all again around my What's Next talk. Rounded that up that night by delivering to my old high school uh, sports awards, and that was last week. And next week's just as, you know, as hectic. I'm down in a prison down south across the other side of the country to Winchester for two days and then up north to back to NTS and then down south to as well back down to Isle Shepherd, back up to Hartlepool so it's it's all over the place in, in and amongst delivering journals as well and yeah. posting them out so it's busy 
definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about the journals as well later on. So just to give some kind of context on the material you're delivering, what are the kind of conversations you're having, what are the presentations that you're giving, what, what's the sort of stuff that you're talking about when you're travelling around the country? So my big thing is about making people think or getting people to think a little bit differently. That's it. You know, I think too many people in, as speakers, you know, they want to maybe put big titles on what they do about changing people's lives and motivating. And the more I do this, you know, I believe the best help is self-help. So what I want to do is give people the tools within mindset to better help themselves. Yeah. I think, you know, too often people think that they can help fix people or cure people or give them, you know, this one idea that's going to change a life where I think if you can allow people to think differently and approach situations differently, that then in itself is life-changing. Whether it's a prisoner who's um, a really violent prisoner who's, you know, attacking people because he's just frustrated and he do not feel like he's being heard, you know, giving him some coping strategies to make him move forward or whether I'm with some 16-year-old kids who come from a disadvantaged background and maybe been bullied, you know, allowing them to think a bit different because I truly believe, and it is a saying, that, you know, it's not my own, I think Oscar Wilde, they said it, that life's not what happened to you but how you react to it that counts and that's what I want to show people. So it's about delivering perspective a lot of times and using my own personal story as the main, you know, anchor but then a lot of theory behind that. So I always say as soon as I start a talk, this ain't a success story and it ain't a sob story because I've been to a lot of them. You know, people come and tell you how good they've done in life or people come and tell you how bad life's been. My thing was when I started doing doing it was the lessons I'd learned when some bad shit's happened but also when some good shit's happened, what lesson have I learned? Mm-hmm. Which we'll get into deeper what we're on about earlier, how things end, you know, good things and bad things and I just think it's about enjoying the present moment. Too many people are constantly chasing what could be or living in that past about what could have been. So it's what could be or what could have been. And I'm like, what's now you know what's next you know if if life is a bit of a rough patch what's next and you know you could title up people in the world and you're from a corporate background they like packages don't they Mm -hmm. so what do you deliver well well-being trust confidence team building stress anger it's all titled up really it's just about how we think it's how we think about things that make us angry it's how we think and approach things that are stressful situations it's how we approach as team within our organization so we approach the subject of confidence and trust so it's all about how we think about things really yeah mate it's so fascinating and it's something i'm really passionate about as well like the whole mindset piece and the whole perception of how you look at things why do you think we are more negative now than perhaps ever before and and what are some of the coping mechanisms or some of the advice that you might give to people who are going through difficult times questions are the answers and the way I've developed on that, it's just something I came up with myself. I say come up with myself, no one's ever on the planet ever had a unique idea, have they? <laughs> no one has ever had a unique idea. I've read that in a book, somewhere, no one's ever had a unique idea, pieces of stuff that's come together. But there's something I formulated myself in terms of that we have a memory bank. Everyone talks about a memory bank. So I started to think about it, and I always said that questions are the answers. So I started to think about, well, in that bank, in a bank, who serves you usually? Bank teller. Yeah, a cashier. Yeah. Right. So I started to think, well, if you want to tap into your memory bank and get an answer, then you need a cashier. And I've realised that most people have two cashiers. Everyone has two cashiers. Cashier P and cashier N. Cashier P is cashier positive. Cashier N is cashier negative. Most people's predominant cashier who's going to cash out most of the time is cashier N. If you ask yourself any question now, any negative leading question, it will answer it for you because it's its job. It's been programmed to do that. So when did I last feel heartbroken? You could tell yourself that. I could tell myself, well, 1995, when I was at school and, you know, my parents broke up or when this girl cheated on me or whatever that may be, your mind will find them in your memory bank and it'll make you feel heartbroken instantly. But at the same time, when did I last feel loved? Well, I felt loved when 
I've just been on holiday with my family and my daughter gave me a cuddle and kiss goodbye or my little boy gave me as cool little handshake because I asked it a question. But once you start to train these questions enough so that everything becomes a positive leading question, cashier P becomes the foreman, becomes the, the cashier that will answer most questions. But the answer comes from a question. That's the way I've found. And I've found that enough questions and do it the right way and look at your questions you're, an, you're asking yourself and the answers will start to come out. Yeah. And I guess that's why it's so important and, and it's getting more and more popular things like gratitude because you're training your mind to be more thankful for the things around you. And great, great question or great point. If you said to yourself, what am I grateful for, right? Yeah. You will instantly find an answer. Yeah. So what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for the fact that I got to wake up today. I'm grateful for the fact of this interview. I'm grateful for the fact of a bit of wind in my face or a sunrise, whatever it may be. Can we get down the smallest thing of a bird? tweeting right yeah, yeah. and it can get out of that what's bad in my life you'll also find that out on the best of days you could find that and that's where people go wrong they don't look in their life and go what am I grateful for what do I appreciate what do I have yeah. and a big reason for stressing as lives is the fact that expectation versus appreciation we're living in an expectation society where people expect that things should happen a certain way and when they don't in life it should have a sucker punch they go shit what do I do now rather than appreciating maybe what is going right and that's what I found pulls you through those darker times you know whether that be mentally or physically or business wise it's appreciating what you who you have in your life and what you have in your life will pull you through them darker times yeah somehow I think it's probably a good time we've dived straight in with going deep already and I love it but I want to go back a, a step yep. and just talk a little bit about Andy's Man Club yep where the whole idea of Andy's Man Club began, and I know I know the brief story, so I want to know like the full story from you yep. of what happened, what led to Andy's Man Club, and and then I guess what you're doing and, and, and how Andy's Man Club is growing and who you're helping. Yeah, so Andy's Man Club on the surface was my brother-in-law died by suicide, and we set up a club in his name, but it is a little bit deeper than that because I were already practicing this what's next theory. I'd already been telling people about this, what's next for you. So the different, the, to differentiate, there's, there's what I do and there's what Andy's Man Club does. There's a separation between the two. Okay. And what ended up happening was um, I was telling people about this, what's next for you going around and, and then it were a, a Tuesday morning. I got a phone call from my mother-in-law, uh, Elaine, who just said, our Andrew's dead. And I said, what, should our Andrew's dead? Um, Andrew had been at our house on the Saturday laughing and joking. The Sunday he'd been to play football, he'd been to have Sunday dinner with my mother-in-law and my missus and the kids and his own daughter. So it was a complete normal weekend. And then Monday morning he gets up and he goes and buys a rope and then he dies that night by by suicide. So it completely rocked my world Tuesday when I got that call because I had no idea how he died at first. So I remember thinking, like, I, I couldn't really fathom what had happened. I remember dropping Alfie off at the rugby ground and I shot up to the house and... Um, there was an atmosphere about it that I'd never felt before, and I've lost a lot of people. I've lost grandparents at a young age. I've lost friends. I've lost, you know, aunties, uncles, godparents. People were really close to, but I never lost in a suicide like this. And there were pain about it that I couldn't even do justice describing. I remember running to a lane and saying, "What's happened? You know, what's happened? What's happened? You know, car crash. He's killed himself." I said, "Carve, carve. He were at our house yesterday. You know, I'm seeing him tomorrow because we're going to help him buy a house. He went about buying a house. Everything was going good in his life." She's killed herself. And it was like someone had smacked me in the stomach. And I remember feeling that feeling and thinking, if you feel like this, how does she feel as a mum? 
how does Billy feel? Like, how's your missus going to feel? Don't know yet. So I remember the next person from the door was Lisa, and I had to explain the little brother had killed himself. She crumbled, like, you know, she were in bits, and then it was one person after other, you know, family members, you know, were coming to the house, we were having to tell people, and then we got in Carmi and Lisa, my partner, and we drove up to mother's of his child's house, you know, where we had to deliver that message there and, and see her and, and Andy's, you know, daughter, his niece, which which wasn't nice. Went and got his, I went and got his car um, from where I'd left it, then rang his best friends. Then I always say the single hardest thing I've ever done is when I went and told my little boy Alpha, because Alfie and Andy were like that, and... Alfie was six at the time. And when we first pulled up at my mum's house, he went swings in the back garden laughing and joking. And he needed to let him know because we knew everyone's he's going to have no summer's wrong because everyone's in bits. So we had to sit him down at the bottom of my mum's garden and explain to him that Uncle Andy's died, he's gone to heaven. And the screeching which he let out as a six year old boy was like not ever witnessed. You know, it were as a man, as you know, as a father, I wanted to be able to take a pen away from him and missus and we couldn't. And then it went back to the question that I used to ask myself when I was younger, which was why? Why me? Why couldn't I spot this? I've been doing this stuff for years. Why couldn't I see it? You're at my house 40 hours ago. Why me? Why me? Why me? You know, you're a fraud. You're thinking a question's going to help me get over this. Ah, bullshit. And it was four days later, and something clicked, and it just says, no, no, what's next? Well, it clicked before, but the, the thing came out, the question brought the answer. Within this conv- drive back down to my mother-in-law's house that day, I'm thinking, you're a fraud. And then someone said, no, no, what's next is what can I do next? And the, the solution I'd made that day is that I couldn't bring Andy back. I couldn't bring him back. No one could bring him back physically. It was just impossible. So the why me is, is staying there. And and the why, the why question came up for weeks. Why, why, why? We had no idea. The what's next was what can we do about it? So four days later, I was driving down to my mother-in-law's house with my missus. And I said, I think we should start something in Andy's name. And she was like, it's a little bit soon. Let's wait for everything. You know, like, you know, she were amazing. Her dissertation were just due in for a uni degree and... That obviously had to get put on hold. She have organised a, a brother's funeral, which was just mind blowing. So, you know, to see her resilience, it probably got a lot of strength out of that, really. And then, about two months later, we were at a family wedding, and I asked my mother-in-law if she'd mind me setting up Andy Roberts Coffee Club in Andy's name. To which she says, "I like the idea, but I don't want it to be just about Andy because there's too many men killing themselves." And then the long story short is that we'd gone away and I used to have this thing called Man Club on a Saturday morning. Myself, Keith Senior used to live with me. My dad, my brother and one of my friends, Brett, would meet every Saturday morning for Man Club. And Elaine had gone away and thought of this idea called Andy, so like another new day, like an acronym. And then it just merged and said Andy's Man Club and then put a post out about this club that we're going to be starting for men where they could meet and chat. And first night, you know, nine men turned up. Second week, 15 men turned up. And it just started from there. Amazing, man. Jesus. Was there any science or anything before? None. None at all. You know, we were in real good spirits, actually, on that Saturday, having a real good laugh and joke. I remember we were telling us that he was going to get an house, and we were talking about his finances and what we were going to have to do to be able to get it. And he was going to come up on Wednesday and have a chat about it when um, kids weren't there. So we could sit properly and go through his finances. And we are going to go look into it properly. And, and, and he was fine, you know, we were laughing and joking about some arguments he'd been having and some other stuff but it was actually genuinely like just it was probably in a really good good place so yeah madness but you know they say that 78% of suicides is impulsive innit it's just a decision and, and gone so yeah, it was difficult real difficult uh, it still is of course it is like we you know we just lost 
Friday that we went for his um, out for his birthday tea without him. We spent, you know, we always book that day off now, his birthday day, and we went out. We had, um, we, you know, we had a bit of um, breakfast together. We had look, we went out and had lunch, and then we went and let some balloons off at his his grave with all kids, and then we had tea together. And you know, it wasn't until that day. I've always known how old he was, you know, twenty three. But when I read his, when I actually read his. The date of birth. Yeah, it just it hit me in my stomach. It was really weird. Yeah. Uh, he was 26. He should have been enjoying his 26th birthday. Like, and I was like, what, what, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, he's twi- he should be 26 year old now. And that that were that were a bit of a weird one. It's so sad, isn't it? And so many people were doing it. And I read something the other day that I don't even know how they would have measured this, but they understood that people who committed suicide, 90% of them wish they would have never got there. I think it was based off people who tried and, and failed, didn't, yeah. Yeah, and failed to actually do it. But these things are avoidable and that's why it's so impressive of what you're doing. So you spoke there about that initial reaction and how it was perhaps more of a victim mentality. Yep. Why do you then think you had that kind of change of heart or that moment of enlightenment where you then had to flip it and turn it into a positive or try and turn it into a positive? I think I learned a few years ago my own downward spirals, you know, a downward spiral I'd had, getting let go from leads and a variety of setbacks that led me to that question, why me? And it was that victim mentality. But then I think when you ask that question, what's next? Uh, and that's something that I'd come up with. What's next? What can I do next? It put the onus back on me. So as, as in, what can I do about this? And I think in any tragedy or any pain of any form, small or big, you have two options. Either let that pain use you, which is crippling, or use that pain. The outcome is, you know, the, the, the initial pain is always going to be the same. You know, what Elaine still feels, Lisa still feels, his friends still feel, everyone still feels is exactly the same as any other family. It's just the difference is, is that there's been an outcome come out of it where there's a legacy now in his name. Do you know what I'm interested to know as well is, first of all, it's amazing that he's got that and, and you guys can like kind of gather around each other and you support each other, I imagine, through that still. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to know from you how, you, how you find joy and happiness, I suppose, in the stuff that you're doing day to day because you, you must be dealing with some miserable people on the whole generally like a lot of negative energy how do you combat that on a daily basis so there's a big difference between what i do and Andy's man club does right so, okay. you know, yeah. yeah so day to day i i i'm not surrounded by that we have a group that runs every monday which is all voluntary where men meet on a monday they sit in the chat and last night I just got the stats with 212 men who met last wow. night Congrats. all over uk you know and and that's from dundee right down to peterborough yeah. and then from you know whole all the way across to to Oldham so yeah. you know they're in all four corners of the country nearly so yeah so the stuff with you in the prison is, is a different kind of conversation it's more yeah. about the mindset mindset personal development yeah um, which brings so, positive energy anyway right which brings positive energy and I think you know your energy feeds energy doesn't it so even when I go to a group I'll try and bring that positive positive energy with me so because I do believe that energy breeds energy so yeah you know it was difficult at the beginning when I was playing rugby and my, I'd put my business on hold because I had no time because I was playing rugby. Suddenly, Sandy's man club, I was putting all my time and effort into that. So probably lost a lot, a lot of money from my business by not putting any effort into it. And it all, I just stalled all contracts I was delivering. Everything that were happening, I just stalled it. And I just put every day into Andy's man club. You know, some days were 18-hour days, you know, like starting in the morning, you know, early doors and just going straight through, like boom, 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 messaging, trying to get this, this, it's okay to talk bigger, 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 bigger. And it just got... It just got out of hand to a point where I'd never had a minute spare and I was reading all these stuff, you know, very graphic stuff of what people were saying, whether they'd found their husband or whether they'd found the son or they'd found the daughter or how the daughter had killed themselves, how the son had killed themselves. And then 
people on a bridge ringing me and you know all this stuff through Facebook and it got to a point after like a year of seeing I say it was a difficult position to be in because it was constant because I was the guy that told the world it were okay to talk and then a lot of world fight that meant directly to me yeah. which yeah. what and his man club were about it were about raising that awareness with it's okay to talk and then directing people to clubs um, which is what I think we've separated the two now and you know obviously I've got to put bread on the table for my family so I had a decision to make rugby I had a young family I had rugby and it was a World Cup year. I had Andy's Man Club um, and I had my business. My business were always a thing that were going to be a slow burner that I wanted to take slow, mm-hmm. finish it after rugby. So I knew my family had to keep that. So we got rid- get rid of that. It left three things and one needed to go. And then it had Andy's Man Club, which I couldn't get rid of. It was voluntary. It didn't really matter. Like, and it was such a good thing for our family. So I had to keep that. Then it was rugby or business. Well, in the long haul, the business one were going to last. And the rugby didn't really make me feel fulfilled anymore. So I got rid of rugby. You could say spare of a moment with no guaranteed income because um, a business, yes, I'd been trading five years, but it wasn't where it is today. So it were a case of I go all in, and you know the rest is history with that. Which is and the business has allowed supported me for the Andy's Man Club things and and for everything else that I do now. Yeah, I love it, mate. I want to talk a. Uh more about the suffering and that side of stuff and perhaps what we get from suffering, but just a quick one on the business side of things then. Did you feel a lot of fear when you were taking that risk of not having guaranteed income? What was that like and how did you step through the fear? I had a good chat with my Mrs. Lisa about, you know, what is all to back? And I'd been to a conference before and it was really good. It had like um, you in the middle and it had like, it was conditioning around it, it had like a box. Yeah. And on that box, you, you had to write down like four things, for example, that were holding you back. And mine was like my dad money, fear and opinions and the way I ended up breaking that down was that my dad my and my dad's relationship were built on rugby at that time we had mm-hmm. a real sort of, me and my dad like our best mates right we are, but that were built on rugby for a number of years and I was very worried about what I'd think um, so that were a difficult decision that I had in my head, then there were finances well rugby were bringing me in a guaranteed wage every month my missus had just qualified as a nurse, so she'd only just started a community job and she was part time we got young children, so that wasn't going to cover our, our wages and then the opinion of others, a 27-year-old Yorkshireman going around talking about, you know, mental well-being or personal development or mindset. Would people get that? And then it were fear. Alien, yeah. And the fear one was that there was a solution I came up with was that if you don't do it, you aren't doing it anyway. And we've only got 100 years. You know, very few people live past 100. So the way I view life is now that, that you've got to give everything a go because, you know, 100 years from now, everyone on this planet will probably be dead, you know even you know my daughter who's not even born yet born in December chances are she'll be dead right which is deep right and it is going a bit out there but she also I think that you've got to leave no stone unturned and do what makes you happy because success to me is happiness so why live a life you know trapped in dogma or by someone else so you know I spoke to my dad I had an honest conversation and it was difficult you know it was difficult for us both and yeah, yeah, it was a difficult time for him I chatted to Lisa about the money and I told her to trust me. So she trusted me. And I left with just two months' wages. That were it. Um, from Halifax. Yeah. With two mortgages, two kids, two cars, everything else. We left. Um, we took that risk. But I told her she could trust me and that I wouldn't fail by effort. And then I had the opinion of others. Well, I realised that there's only one opinion that matters to you. Yours. And as long as you do the right thing for you and your family and those who matter most, yeah. and that's all that matters. Yeah. And then fear just broke through that because, you know, you were only born with two fears, aren't we? the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So I realised everything else we've created. So I got rid of that and um, cut the rope and went all in. What do you mean by the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises? They're the only two fears that we're actually born with. 
So when you're born, you only have two fears. So we're scared of falling as a kid, as even as a baby, and we've, we're afraid of like loud noises, so we'll get jumpy, it's just mm. our senses. Other than that, everything else has been either socially conditioned into yeah. us, by us parents, by the news, by the media. It's like someone who's afraid of flying, right? If you ever asked me if they've been involved in a crash, they'll say no. Mm. But there's one in a thousand, one in five thousand chances of dying in a car crash. There's one in eleven million in a plane. Yeah. But yeah, people are afraid of, afraid of flying because you're floating in the air. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Out of interest, what are the um, what was the conference that you went to to get to get that information and go through those four boxes? It was a Tony Robbins um, preview to his event. Right. Yeah. That's the uh, what's Unleash the, the power. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Preview. Did you see that? I've, I want to go. I'm going to go next year in April, I think. Yeah, and uh, I went to the preview of it. There was some, some really good stuff in there, and I thought at that time, when I was going through a, uh, an uncertain patch of what I wanted to do, yeah. that conference probably just put that nail in that coffin. Yeah. And it was like, I know what I want now. Amazing. To go back to the suffering stuff then. Yeah. Because it's something that I know you've been through, and it's something that I went through probably more recently, 2017 and uh, 2016. Um, really interested to get your viewpoint on the benefits of suffering yep. going through those difficult times and, and what do we as individuals get from going through those difficult times and getting through suffering and understanding why we've had those feelings in the first place what's your understanding and what's your experience with that growth I think through any tragedy through any setback of any kind out of the other side comes growth and people's problems I've found and people are here me on my stuff say this a lot that people I've dealt with hundreds of thousands are now are either going through a storm, have just been through a storm, or there's a storm brewing. And everyone's intensities are different because of how you view that storm. But once that storm passes, there's always a light. But another storm's going to come. Yeah. And that's where people go wrong. They think, once I get through these problems, it's all going to be good. No, it's never like that. You know, you get through a storm, you enjoy that moment, and another storm comes. And that's why I think you've got to learn to appreciate the storms. Because the way I view it is now is what can you learn from that storm? So that next storm isn't, isn't as intense. So you can get your umbrella ready or your coat or your rain jacket, whatever that may be. So that storm passes a bit faster. And suddenly what you find is that storms start to pass a bit faster. Yeah. Stuff that you go at one point would like, would give you a breakdown or you would struggle with, suddenly don't seem as big. And you can learn to just roll through them then. And then that storm just starts to move on. It comes still, you know, but then it moves on. But it's having that appreciation that it does get better. But it's also back to what I spoke to you about earlier, where... Knowing that good times come, What's but next? they go. Bad times come, but they go. Because yeah. nothing ever lasts. Nothing. Um, and I've done some pretty big stuff, you know, good and bad in my in my life, and they've all gone. Like the bad stuff is fish paper uh, wrapping. The good stuff is a picture on a wall. That's it. It's yeah. but it's gone. It's <laughs> irrelevant. What would you say to someone then? If someone who's listening, who's having a really bad time and is in a bit of a dark place. What kind of advice would you give them? I think everyone needs an escape. Everyone needs an escape. And people use escapism as like drugs, drink, sex, phones. But I think that's distractions. I think by doing that, you're distracting yourself from the problem. You're drilling yourself into a negative state and then you can never attack your problems in a, in a good manner. Escaping your problem is putting yourself in a good state by doing something like, for example, mine used to be rugby. Mm-hmm. Now it might be the gym or going for a walk or doing yeah. some meditation or mm-hmm. being mindful or talking. And once you start to do, do this or journaling or writing, Whatever it may be, find your escape mm-hmm. and then do that and do that escape and do it consistently. Um, where people go wrong with the mind, in my opinion, you know, whether we're talking about mental health or anything, is if we're talking about physical health right now, and me and you just got us running trainers on, we just started running out of this building, less you can get furthest. 
At the minute, I'm not as fit as I used to be. So I might get to the bottom of driving, I might be like, like you've won, <laughs> right? And then if you didn't run again, but I kept doing that every single day, eventually I would get further than you. Yeah. And I would get further than when I last got to. Each day I'd get a little bit further. And that's like your mind. But because we live in a society where everyone wants quick fixes, they want everything now. Because you can Google the answer, you can get this now, you get that, we've got we're best parents, we try to give us kids everything. Mm. No one ever is willing to work. So people want that magic pill or that magic solution and, and in my eyes there isn't one it's about physically mentally working through stuff and knowing that each day just work on that a little bit more and like when I do goal setting with people and they go right well I want to climb a mountain I go well how many mountains you climb well, not how far are you walking at me I'm not so don't, don't anyone climb a mountain today then anyone <laughs> walking from your house to bottom of your garden then tomorrow bought me garden to Indy Street then bought me garden to Indy Street to town centre and then just build it so eventually you are climbing a mountain yeah. Without knowing it and build, and that's how your mental health or mindset or whatever you want to say, build. Yeah, it don't come overnight. Trust me. It's interesting you say, mate. Literally, I, we were talking earlier about. I was listening to a podcast on the drive up to meet you. Uh, it was a podcast with um, Jordan B. Peterson. All right, yeah, yeah, uh, very intelligent guy, very opinionated, but very, very intelligent guy. The author of um, the Twelve Rules for Life, which I'm reading at the minute, is quite deep, but I th- you'd, you'd like it actually if you're not really. Yeah. But he talked about if people are in suffering, it's about managing your time. And it's basically what you've said there with a slightly different twist is that you can't, if you're in a really dark place, think, oh my God, I've got 10 years of this. Or or even if it's months or weeks of this, but you look at the next 10 minutes, you look at the next 30 minutes, you look at the next hour, how are you going to get through that? How are you going to make it the best hour you can? And uh, yeah, it just sounds like a very, very similar approach to what you're doing. So I think it's great. And I think if you look at a lot of Western philosophy now, it all comes back to those, you know, those Eastern early days. Yeah. What you want to call it religion. Or I, I found Buddhism at a young age. And I think now it makes me laugh when I speak to psychologists and they talk about mindfulness and meditation. <laughs> as, and they're giving these as tools. And I'm thinking, this is what like Buddhists have been practicing for years. And, and all that's simply about being is here right now. Because I often say, if you think about, you know, anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression, anxiety is, is a worry about the future about what could happen, what could go wrong. And that manifests itself in a physical. So that just shows you that the mind and the body are interlinked, right? Because you had a thought and that manifests itself into a physical condition or physical symptoms. So it's an obsession or a a thought based about the future, about everything that could go wrong and that starts to build, right? Depression is the other way. It's about the past, right? You you don't get depressed about the future, do you? Right, you get depressed about situations, occasions, something that's happened and you, you get transfixed there. When you can pull that back to being right here and now and working right here and now, that helps you cope much better. Don't mean that depression's going to go, don't mean that you're not still going to get anxious, but it makes it a little bit of a smoother ride. Yeah. I love that, man. It's so hard, though. It's, it's really hard to be present. I've read things like The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, and it's just like great stuff, but you still get dragged into that feeling of overwhelm or whatever it is. Which is fine. Yeah. And it's not about, and that's just showing that we're not all perfect, are we? Yeah. None of us. I don't. I don't sit here every day and go, I'm here now. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm thinking about that or I might be thinking about summer and but it's constantly consciously trying to pull yourself back to now. Yeah. And if you can do that enough time, then you start to build that again. It's like again going to a gym. You don't just lift the bench press once and still have a massive chest. <laughs> do you? No. You've got to go a couple of times. Yeah. A week. And eventually like, oh God, I'm getting good at this. And that's just like with your, with your mind, with any of these things about practicing being here and now, consciously learning to go today, consciously learning to practice that, constantly, how does my ass feel on this chair? How does my <laughs> yeah. back feel? Because that's all present, that's happening yeah. right now. How does my elbows feel on this chair? How does my tongue feel in my mouth? 
can I hear my, my heart beating? That's all happening right now. Not a minute ago, not in a minute's time. It's happening right now. And that's what being present is. Yeah. Luke, could you talk to us a little bit about your rugby playing career? Yeah. And then as that drew to near to the end, your experience with depression and some of the stuff that you went through and, and your own experience of suffering and kind of how you came through that? Yeah, so for me, it started eight years old. I started playing up at Illingworth. Loved it. You yeah. know, I was a real big kid. So, you know, my parents had separated when I was eight. Um, I took it quite hard, started eating a lot, comfort eating, putting a lot of weight. My dad thought a good thing to me would be to get in a rugby, so I got in a rugby, loved it, you know, I could be myself. Long story short, I ended up making it as a professional, uh, signed over at Salford, yeah. City Reds. Yeah. The culture there at the time wasn't right for me, you know, there were a lot of stuff going on that, that wasn't right for me is what I wanted, you know. doing They were doing what some of my 15-year-old mates were doing, 16-year-old mates, you know, from, from back in the day, and I didn't want to be around that, so my values said, no, I don't want this, so when I offered a two-year deal, I turned that down. Um, and then the lead rhinos bought me, you know, so suddenly a kid, you know, single parent background, you know, and so then I played for lead rhinos or something that no one would ever thought. Um, and I made sure I worked my ass off then, you know, I managed to get myself to be fittest in squad. Um, at least I was fittest and fattest at one point um, in the squad. I've always been podgy, but I was fittest and fattest. We did a bleep test and Callum Watkins and Rob Burrows were both always fittest and I, and I managed to beat Rob on a, a fitness really? test, which were, which were amazing. So, and I was really fit then. I was training, you know, doing nine miles a day running away from training. I was doing extras upon extras. And that was something I always said. So if I heard someone did something, I'd go do that a bit extra. I was doing like mad shit, like running Christmas morning, New Year's morning, when no one else would train. Where do you think that mindset came from or that idea to work that hard? An obsession with not wanting to lose, like, because everyone, no one believed I could do it. No one believed I could do it. Proving people wrong. Yeah, it's what's prove people wrong, which has its downfalls. Um, but at the time, I watched prove people wrong. I remember one guy who from my amateur team said, Lou Campbell will never make Super League. I've got, I've got an hole in my ass. So that always stuck with me. So every night before I went to bed, doing my press-ups and my sit-ups every night and every morning, this thing used to go through my head. Because um, I knew that I could do it if I really applied myself. And oh, it wasn't even that I knew I could do it. I just knew that I wasn't going to give myself a chance to fail. If I failed, it wouldn't be through a lack of effort. Mm -hmm. That's the way I've always built stuff. Whether it be business or it be the charity side, or, you know, my way be, it'll never fail through a lack of effort. And as my missus will, 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 will always agree with me, like, I'm all or nothing with things. So, like, you know, some stuff, like, if it's not working, it, it's gone. Like, you know, but I'm all or nothing. So, it's just a mentality I've always had, you know wanting to do my best and and that's how it is and you know sometimes I've took my foot off gas with certain things and I've been distracted and, and that's not helped and then when Leeds let me go that was difficult because I, I'd done everything they'd asked you know I'd gone down to London on loan I'd had a decent season came back they'd got a new manager in and for whatever reason my face didn't fit and then there were politics side of stuff where you know I'm meant to be going and um, the Huddersfield Giants had asked me to go there um, they they didn't let me go and then a week later they let me go to Halifax which were league below which was always a dream of mine to play for Halifax but not this early um, then the Halifax we won Northern Rail Cup and it was such a good year it just felt like oh, it doesn't matter still riding high they offered me a good deal on good money and it was like sound signed that year uh, and then end of that year it, it were, midway through that next year it was difficult felt like a failure you know and just started to bottle up our feeling and my missus broke up with me um, which one you know one easier and I had a stepson with her and that were added like I'd lost a son as well because that's how it all felt at the time and then you know you want to tell your mates how you're feeling but you can't because it's not the right thing to do mm -hmm. and you start going out drinking with my mates and you know stuff that just led me down that wrong path and then you know one night I go out 
um, with my mate and I see this ex-girlfriend now who's my current partner again but my, really? yeah, my ex-girlfriend out and <laughs> my head went you know I've just started smashing loads of drink and my head had gone um, and then I get wrestled out of club and then end up having a fight with a lot of doormen and smashing a nightclub up and then found myself in Keith Senior's car actually they'd managed to scoop me up in his car and get me away and then police pulled us and then locked me up for a night and then that night you know the I'm sat there asking why me, you know, missus had gone, rubber career was clearly going to be over, I'd smashed all my heel up, so I'd broke my foot in a season, I'm in a terrible season, and I asked myself that question, why me, why me, why me, why me, missus had gone, you know, I had an house at the time, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do, I've got no else really going on, it were a World Cup year, and I remember going and seeing my rugby coach, and I explained to the lads what had happened, a lot of lads laughed it off, they'd been in bits of trouble themselves, yeah. but for me, it wasn't where my life I wanted it to be, or to be going down that route. I'm very fortunate, a guy called Ian Crowder, who was CEO, CEO at the time, managed to ring the nightclub and he managed to get things taken care of where I just had to go pay for damages and it all got kept quiet, it got kept under wraps, which why I think I have empathy now with prisoners. I know it's a one moment of madness, it can change your life because it could have changed my life. That. Mm. I work with kids now, you know, like that would have gone to court and I would have got charged with, you know, criminal damage or, you know, um, GBA, whatever it may be, you know, from from the fighting side or a free or whatever that may be. You know, life would have been a bit different. I wouldn't be able to work with kids. I probably wouldn't be able to work in prisons. So, like a second chance. And then I went to World Cup that year with Ireland. And I was around all these players and I thought to myself, like, what are you doing, little lad? These aren't that much better than you. That's how I felt. Yeah. So I started training hard, really hard. And I got a song called, and it's literally come back to me as I'm telling this. So I never tell it in this much detail. Linkin Park, Faint. Yeah, yeah. And it just got me pumped. And I was listening to words thinking, wow. <laughs> and I was listening to Smash Training. I got dropped first Island game. I'd never been dropped for Ireland at really? that point. 18th man watching all the lads warm up. One of the lads got injured in game. Played next week against England at Gal Farm. Uh, I got man a match in paper and had a real good game for Ireland. For England. We got beat 6-0, but I had a good game. Then they played against Australia. I got a firebacks and I opened a gym. I wanted to spin off of a CrossFit gym and I didn't want to pay CrossFit prices. Mm. So I called it <laughs> FaxFit. It's the CrossFit <laughs> FaxFit where I'm from. Yeah. And then it started everything, all that positive mindset stuff started from there. I got myself in best physical condition, best mental condition. Me and my missus got back together. We bought another house together and then that's when completely changed my life and promised myself on that day that, that I'd never ever go there I don't drink now I don't, don't you know, drink at all no no nice. I'm, you know nice. completely a different a different man to what I used to be amazing you man. know I, I want a good person you know grow, you know, at that point you know especially when I made it at Leeds at first yeah. you know probably a bit arrogant you know I want nice to women you know girls I want violent or I just want you know particularly friendly yeah I yeah. want a Playboy in it, that type of thing. You go out and you do what you do, and probably weren't very nice to girls. And then, you know, me and Mrs. get together, and she sort of like changed my life in essence, in terms of she kept me like grounded at everything, you know. She's always been like that, and you know, probably fortunate to have her. And then I lost her, you know, and then then it all sort of like fell back into place. I think that experience was the most life changing experience for me. That was the one that changed the game for me because I knew where I never want to be again. And I think that was the difference. I would have never allowed myself physically, mentally or situationally ever be back that low. Um, and now being the do-gooder that people see, a lot of people would be shocked at a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, fascinating, mate. I had no idea about a lot of that. So what do you think it was that was the kind of key to getting you out of there? Or was it just literally feeling being at the bottom of the pit? Or was there something that gave that moment of enlightenment? It was that, what can I do next? Um, Again, about this and that's where it yeah. came that's where I came with the question ah, what's next the first what time. can I do next you've had your setback now where's your belief 
what's your belief? Your values have got you through stuff in the past and your beliefs, what, 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 let's realign them now. Let's come back up with some new values. Let's create some that, that you can get some value out of to really push you forward. And then went to that World Cup and it was like a fire got ignited because I was like, I'm not down and out here. I've still got a chance. And then I played the England game, played the Australia game and it was like, I'm back here. Yeah. Um, opened the gym. Um, it opened just in January and I, I got myself in there every day, three days a week. Uh, sorry, three times a day, sorry. Some days, morning, night, afternoon, I was just boom, 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 boom. Just got myself so fit and then I went on that year then. I go and get myself in a real good place. I open the gym, everything's going good. Uh, me and my missus get back together, we buy a house together. Um, we have a, a, we have a baby, we're having a baby together, six months pregnant. And then um, she texts me saying that my asthma's flared up. And I'm, I'm like, oh, like, I didn't have a clue what asthma was and it was that bad. So she goes to doctors. I said, do you want me to come? She's like, no, no, it'd be sound. Like, I just need a nebulizer. So they give a nebulizer, it doesn't work. Another nebulizer doesn't work. So put in an ambulance to hospital. Bear in mind, I'm on this, what's next? Like, it'll all be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm positive thinking, you know, boom, boom, boom. This is what I was telling you about earlier. It's positive thinking. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Um, so I was even at gym, just training. And then she texts me saying, they're going to keep me in. So I'm like, going to keep her in. That's a bit weird. Six months pregnant, said she should, they just want a precautionary. I said, well, right, well, come on anyway. I get on there, she seems fine. So I nip downstairs, I get a coffee, I come back upstairs to see her and she's crying, she's holding her, her throat, she can't breathe. Um, so I run outside, I tell the doctor, he goes, boom, seven doctors, intensive care unit, come sprinting in and rush her, like they're pumping over everything. And, you know, I remember the doctor saying to me, I was going, how's the baby, how's the baby, how's the baby, how's the baby? And he just says, look, listen, baby's least he worries, least is critical. I said, critical. I said, yeah, the, her oxygen levels will drop from like 95 uh, to 30, you know, and asthma's serious. Look, it can go either way. Five minute window could go either way. And it was such a traumatic experience. Um, one that made me question everything again. Now, like, oh my God, every time you just seem to get it, life just seems to want to knock you down. And it was like a sucker punch. I remember sat there thinking, like, I'm about to lose my missus and, and, and my daughter, my unborn child. And I remember having a ring. Elaine at the time, Andy's, uh, Andy and, and, and Lisa's mum and explain it with her and they need to get on there now because the doctor just told me to ring you because this could go either way. Yeah. And I were a wreck, a complete wreck. And they managed to save a life. I'm a beautiful daughter, but it were not an easy feat for them. So that then were another thing that just added. And then I get home that night. Um, they, they kept her in a few days and, and, and when she was coming home, I decided I'd make her a shepherd's pie to come home to an healthy shepherd's pie because I wanted to clean eating. I opened a cupboard and glass ball falls out of the cupboard and Sever's attending in my toe, which then had gone from having this terrible season to having a good World Cup to now being out for six weeks. And then I have to ring my rugby coach and explain that. So then, you know, it got to a point where it were like, what is going on? Every time you think that you're getting yourself in a good position, you're not. So, you know, I were out for first few games at season, started season uh, average late and then ended up having best year I'd ever had. I got player at year. Um, I got a team at year nice. um, and everything just fell into place I like my best year I'd ever had in my whole rugby career everything that happened you know I was fittest strongest I'd ever been and, and I got best money I'd ever been on and all that other stuff that people think is important which to me is now is not but it got me in a real position that I knew that no matter what if you apply yourself to something really apply yourself no matter what because where focus goes energy flows and I realised that from that from that season alone, yeah. that all that shit had happened the year before, and within one year, I'd gone from having worst year of my life to best year of my life, because also in that year, I had a daughter that was born, which brought its own pressure, because mm-hmm. now I had two houses, two kids, and a missus I needed to provide for, so that brought its own pressure, where now it was like hunt mode, yeah. you know, caveman mode, I need to put some bread on that table, so I went out and got that bread. Amazing, man. Is there anything you suffer with now? Nah, nothing, ever. 
because everything ends and I've got no time for anything to, to affect me. Listen, I'm going to lose parents, I'm going to lose brothers, I'm going to lose stuff and it's going to hurt, courses, and I don't, I can't even, I don't know how that's going to feel. But everything ends, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, my life's going to end at some point, you know, my kids' lives are going to end at some point, and the world's going to keep moving forward. And I think where we forget is that we think that life, I think we take life for granted. I think it's such a big thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And in Andy's death, it probably taught me the biggest lesson of life is that I feel grateful every day I get to walk this planet. Listen, some days I'm in a shitty mood, some days I'm not the best person to be on, a Mr. Positive or any of that other stuff. But I still every day appreciate life, every day. Yeah. Because every day I feel like I've got another chance to, to give it a go. Because at any point, you could not wake up. And you've heard it loads of times. A guy goes to bed or a woman and they just don't wake up. They died in the sleep. And that's that's how it could be. Yeah. So you can never take life for granted. Yeah. You know, you've got pushed push through, whether it be a physical health, mental health. You've got to push through and fight through it to know that better times come because we've only got one chance at this, mm. as far as we know it, concrete. Yeah. Such an amazing message, mate. Something that you mentioned earlier, and you, and you just mentioned it there actually about the positive thinking thing. Yeah. I loved what you said, mate, about the. Uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on positive thinking. Yeah. So yeah, if you if you go through what we spoke about over dinner, that'd be great. So, the positive thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I think people want to. I hear it a lot. People go, "Oh, I'm. Um, I need to think positively." Yeah. And I'm like, no, because like life ain't always positive. So why try think positive? Why not learn to control your thoughts? Because ultimately when you start to control your thoughts, so I use an analogy and I'll tell you about, you know, we're going to go into the journal later, but the journal is a B on the front. Yeah. It's called BU. And the reason why it's B-double-E is because I think there's a lot of significance to a B. Because if a B comes in here now and just flies around, right, it'll just fly around, it'll try to find a way out, or it's, it's working away, trying to find a flower for some pollen, it's just doing its job, it's just getting on with life, right? If you've got to hit that B, what will it do? Sting me. Sting you, and then, then what happens to it? It dies. It dies. That's like your mind. If you can't learn to control your bee, right, your bee will eventually sting someone, mm. right? And whether that be physically, mentally, it will sting someone. And the only person that ever really gets hurt is you. Either you lose a loved one, like, you know, you know, or you, you do something physically to someone or mentally, or you just say something not nice, right? And that eventually only ever really hurts you. So I've learned that control your bee. Because a bee doesn't sting you unless it's taunted, but it only, you know, that bee, if it got its shit together, would go, you know what, I'll just stay away from that person and I'll go away right, rather than go sting you because you've upset it. And that's what I think it's about. It's about learning to control your bee so you're not out there stinging people. Um, and the other thing about like a bee is that its its bee, its wings are too small for its body. It shouldn't be able to fly. <laughs> so it defies its own limitations every day and I think that's what it's about. So positive thinking would be that you know, and I used that example earlier that like there'd be no weeds in my garden. So you open, you know, you want to go to do your garden today, there'll be no weeds, no weeds, no weeds. You've got to be smiling your face and there's weeds. Right? And then positive <laughs> would start to try to smile through that way. Controlled thinker would say, I'm going to go do my garden today. There's going to be weeds out there. Or there's going to be some stuff that I need to do. So I'm going to get that done and my garden's going to look nice. Yeah. It's controlled. It's knowing that there's going to be some shit out there, but you can control it, yeah. you can fix it, and then move on. It's that stoic philosophy. I absolutely love it of like putting yourself in that mindset of often the worst case scenario. So then if that does turn up, then you can manage it in the right way. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's amazing, mate. I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Yep. Go into the It's Okay to Talk campaign because yep. what an incredible achievement, first of all. So congratulations Thank for that. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
And I think actually when my mate told me about what you were doing in the journey that you were on, the first thing that of course I know, knew about was the campaign. Yep. And I saw tons of celebrities. So you already saw that before? I'd already seen it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, nice. So I, I already knew. So I don't know if you've know, seen like the people who are doing the okay sign and the selfies. And I had, I knew all about it. Yep. So I want to hear a little bit about your journey to that state, I guess, yep. getting there. And because some of the people who were getting involved were amazing. And then yep. you spoke earlier a little bit about your experience sitting down with some of the royal family. So if you could talk us through that, I'd, I'd yeah. love to hear it. So his mankle's just been one big journey, really. You know, I remember it was a Sunday night. In fact, what day is it today? It is Tuesday. Tuesday. Date. Date. Oh, date. It's the 17th. 17th. So two weeks time. Right. Um, July 30th. Two years ago on July 30th. I were at home one night and I said to my Mrs. Lisa, I said, I need to raise awareness about this. Yeah. I said, I don't know what to do. I want to do some sort of campaign. She was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, she like, some sort of like challenge. And I said, no, I think I'm going to take a selfie. And she was like, that won't work. It's a rubbish idea. I said, no, I've got a feeling about it. So I took a selfie with an okay sign. I remember actually saying to Lisa, how do you take an okay? What is an okay? Is it that? Is it that? Yeah. You know, what do you do? And first one I ever took the known was I was sat on the toilet just trying to work it out and then and I went downstairs and then I found my little chair and um, I had the Notorious Now t-shirt which says goals on it weirdly enough it's just a goals t-shirt it was famous that they just went uh, the t-shirt just went, uh, the picture just went viral and I took a photo of this okay sign and I put some stats that I'd found uh, and put tag five people let them know it's okay to talk and I tagged like a load of people to get it going and you know no one did it and then Tagged the love of a lot of people and no one did it. And I remember sat in bath and went upstairs and got in bath to avoid my missus. Gets me escape now a bath, hot bath, yeah. Radox bath, little candlelight. And, <laughs> I, and I, I ran my dad. Dad's a legend. And I, dad does a favour, jump on social media, take a selfie with an OK sign. And he was like, um, that sound your course really good, but what's a selfie? And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so then eventually my dad said he's done it and he went on there and I couldn't find it so I'm thinking no one's done it and then I think a couple of people had done it but the next day like he'd not really done much and I was delivering a course about my what's next theory to some young people in Leeds um, on an NCS programme and then it started to gather a bit of momentum you know and it started to gather a lot of momentum so then that night I got home and I was so excited I just carried on tagging new people tagging new people tagging new people tagging new people Twitter, Instagram, Facebook Twitter, Instagram, Facebook I was just constant boom, boom, boom then my notification just would not stop like with 20 plus all the time and then I started to like I remember my dad in costume we were laughing because you could literally type in it's okay to talk and there'd be a new post on every single second mm-hmm. and it would go in America uh, Australia England Germany and it was going poof, poof, poof. and then I'd done some filming with a lad bible on Tuesday so they didn't even know about it, it's okay to talk I just told them I just started this campaign it's gone quite big so they were like oh cool like we'll we'll, we'll hopefully a bit of support yeah they're already doing a video called Andy's Story so then they took a selfie tag Ricky Gervais who's oh, never wow. been involved in any other campaign other than cats he <laughs> fires one out and the next minute boom you know four weeks hundred million people you know biggest mental health movement on planet now it's just scary how big it got and then it just grew and then demand grew and you know next minute I'm sat with a laptop just like this you know I remember I played rugby on Sunday I couldn't lift my head up my shoulder and Sky News wanted to do live interviews and I can't lift my head I had to put, put my my laptop on a cushion to make it look like I were normal my, my, my neck was like that I had to play <laughs> rugby I were doing Germany news I were doing live on Australian radio live on Ireland radio like their version of Radio 1 it just went off and then every single national newspaper rang me and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger amazing mate 
obviously you had no idea it was going to go like that no. and you literally started just by posting a selfie yourself and tagging people yes and it was that same post that was the one that went huge yes wow and just went and then the next minute Danny Cipriani yeah Katie Price yeah you know all, like, literally like Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter Neville Longbottom well, I know Neville I've been to Las Vegas with Neville really yeah so that's how that end came Matt, about Matt what's his name Matt Lewis, Matt yeah, Lewis we went yeah. to Vegas for Carl Albert Stag do he uh, actually uh, he used to live in Crouch End which is just up the road he goes to the same gym as me or used to anyway always wearing his rhinos gear he's a, yeah he loves Leeds rhinos and we, we all went over um, we all went to um, Vegas and he, you know he was a good guy so I tagged him thinking he'll get it out and, and he did, did and then, then like Eddie Hearn did it and like really? Kel Brook and you know all of them guys were doing it and it was just like wow you know Chelsea players and you know all rugby league players pretty much every rugby league player did yeah. it and you know rugby union started doing it and it was just mad like you know people like taking photos before a rugby game and after a rugby game and before a cricket match and just it just went and, it, and I'm still like it was crazy because all that were happening I was just playing rugby on a Sunday yeah. and I'm just like saying costumes and my dad's like You've started like this thing we're just sat here in Costa like, amazing man. you know it's just mad and then you know it just grew and grew and grew and grew mate it just goes to show how much of a thing it is and, and what you're doing is obviously helping so many people so it's so impressive and I mean sadly I think it's only getting worse but hopefully you know you're going to help more and more as, as, you, as you go on yeah we're getting we're getting around a thousand men a month now to our clubs yeah. which is huge so we're nine men on that first night yeah. so now we've got a thousand men every month using our groups you know, it's unreal. Yeah. So to talk a little bit more about the future of the things that you're doing and some of the projects you're working on, yep. you spoke a little bit about the journal there. Yep. I'm someone who journals daily. Oh, you really? Anyway, yeah. So, I've got um, one for you, I think. Oh, amazing, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd absolutely love to use it. I'm, I'm a massive believer in journaling and I've used um, a, a journal that's relatively similar, so I'm really excited to use yours. Yep. And I really believe in the power of doing it. It includes the things like the gratitude we spoke earlier and got a few goals and stuff. So... Um, I'd love to hear about the journal itself specifically how people can use it yep. where they can find out more information about it and then actually what led you to wanting to release the BU journal so it started with setting goals myself I started, I'm a big believer in setting goals and then big believer in morning routine and then big believer in writing stuff down and you know I just believed in everything that it were about you know, that mindset and mindset right and I said I've been quite lucky because like, I can do my morning routine 10 minutes or an hour. You know, it doesn't really matter for me. Yeah. When I'm my most productive, I've got a solid morning routine. Like, I'm up an hour earlier than usual. I'm getting my mindset right. And I've even got to a point now where I can do everything in shower. So, like, mm-hmm. I get in shower, I can think about my goals, visualise the day, I can do my appreciations, I can do my my uh, affirmations. But some people like that, fortunately, they need to really sit down and really think about it. So, I've seen a lot of people doing these journals and they were really complex. You know, they were really like, you've got to do three goals, you've got to write three appreciations, you've got to do, plan your day out. And I'm thinking like, that's just, for someone like me, that's too structured. Yeah. So I just made six boxes. Started with six questions and I used to give them my clients on normal to get a notebook. And then I realised I needed to create something. So then what I did is I created, I had two journals I wrote down last year that I wanted to create this year. One was BU journal and one was the What's Next journal. Mm-hmm. So I started speaking to a guy who used to write a magazine for Phil Kaplan and we started talking about it. I said, save yourself costs and, and make a two-in-one. And I was like, wow, I like that idea. So <laughs> um, it wasn't even about the cost, it was about the idea because what I realised is that I wanted one journal that were all about positive air and one journal that were a bit more dark and deeper. Then I realised that no other journal allows you to express your darker time. It's all about keeping positive, but that in life. So I created the two-in-one journal. One side is um, 
today's goals, today's um, aff- appreciations, today's affirmations. Then at the end of the day, you write down what could have been, what could have uh, done better today, what went well today, and your conclusion your day and rate your day out of ten. Flip the book over, and you've got an offload area. But then once you've offloaded with a drawn, right, scribbled, what you're feeling or what's going on, you then have another side which is a mirror image called what's next which is okay that's happened but what can you do next about that how can you positively view that so and there's only 40 pages in that one because it's designed that the front of the, the, the journal is to pull you through the back end is just to give you that push in terms of getting stuff off your chest because i think too many journals are too about positive 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 and when something happens they don't prepare you for that so this is what that journal is all about i think it's amazing mate i really do and that's probably a similar feedback as what I would have for the journals that I've used in the past either too structured and they give you literally an hour by hour breakdown yes. which is too much because you don't know what's going to happen and no. what's going to come up in the day or like you said it's all positivity so you're absolutely right mate I'm literally doing gratitude three goals for the day and then affirmations but there is nowhere for me to put that when the shit stuff happens exactly mate I'm really excited to, to use it I think it sounds great I want to ask you a few like bits of advice really yep so actually before we do that very quickly what is that 10 minute morning routine my 10 minute morning yeah. so for me to have a great day um, so if I get in 10 minutes it's great so a 10 minute one if I'm in a rush would be no exercise so we get up and I've always got to have a shower right? so I get up water have a glass of water I get in the shower and while I'm in the shower I'm literally thinking about right, what do, how do I want today to go so what do I want to achieve today setting the intention setting the intention after that I think about you know who and what am I thankful for and then I want my day to go. So then, you know, them three things are boxed off. Um, and then I, I like to get the shower on cold just to get, change my to physiology. Cold exposure, yeah. Yeah, just to give it, get out of the shower and then it's just, boom, that day's set then. Yeah. I listen to a certain type of music, mm-hmm. which would shock a lot of people. Um, I, or I listen to, so I listen to uh, uh, Bad Boy Records, yeah. you know, 10-year anniversary. He did it. Yeah, and yeah. I just listen to Victory 2004 um, and that gets me going. And then there's loads of songs on that um that anniversary disc that's just upbeat, you know, like just completely gets me going. So once mm. I've got that on, it's like beast mode, ready to rock and roll. So nice. uh, when I've got a longer day, so today a great day for me was um, I woke up when sun rose, so I had my curtains open, so I'd naturally wake up. So I'd woke up this morning um, a little after sunrise, about quarter to six, straight dressed, uh, drink of water in the gym, did 20 minutes walking uphill, training for Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. From that, went outside and did a 15-minute meditation. Inside, breakfast, upstairs. Then it started again. Shower, thinking about the day, thinking about what I want to achieve, um, and affirmations. Um, and then I was ready to go, ready to rock yeah. and roll. And I wear the same clothes every day, black T-shirt, black jeans, yeah. black vans every day, same clothes. Yeah. That's like the uh, Mark Zuckerberg thing, isn't it? Exactly. Remove that decision fatigue. And that I don't have that. I literally, yeah. if you went in my room now, you'd see two fresh new black t shirts yeah. lined up, two pairs of jeans over at the side, and that's it. Like, I have no issues in the morning. I don't have to worry about, you know, does this t shirt look good? Does oh, that jeans so look good. good? Do you think it helps? Massively, because yeah. it's just set and it's slimming as well for when I've put a bit of weight on. <laughs> <laughs> what about your meditation? What kind of meditation are you doing? Um, I like to focus on my breathing and just being here and now. So, yeah. and then, you know, now and again, I like to so today. Um, I've just really got, I'm not going to bullshit and say I do it every day because mm. of the meditation side. I've been more mindful lately. So when I'm in the shower, I like to feel like the water on me. You know, some of the people will be like, that's a bit weird. But I'm on about like, we're getting showers sometimes. We're that busy. We're just like quick yeah. shower. And I like to feel that feeling of the water in my body because mm. um, that's been present. So I'm probably very mindful even when I'm driving, I'm looking at things and yeah. being mindful. Meditation wise today, I just like to focus on, on the breath. So sit comfortably. Um, I had a Buddhist chant on, like a Buddhist um, theme 
you yeah, know, yeah, YouTube yeah. video that helped me. And um, just sat outside on grass and I just literally just thought about, tried to just empty my mind and just thought about the here and now, the breath going in, the breath going out, and then just watching the thoughts come in and try to just, just see them and see what we're about. Amazing. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love that. So I'm a big believer in morning routines as well. Yeah. And when I'm strict with it and I do it and, and I get up at the right time and I go through the process, I'm, my performance on a day-to-day basis is so much better. Yeah. And I can tell you for the last couple of weeks, I've not been doing it and I'll notice and I see the difference in what I'm doing day-to-day. So I'm interested to know because I know this is something that a lot of people experience and something that people find difficult to incorporate into their daily routines generally is adding different things. Yep. So from your experience, what's the habit that you think requires the least effort but gives the maximum effect? Mine is my shower. Your shower? I don't know if it's a psychological thing. My mum used to ring me before a game, she you ready for your rugby yet? And I go, no, she went, you haven't you shower then? I said, no. So I had this thing that my shower were always like go time. It's like a trigger for me. Yeah. So like once I've had my shower, it's go time. Obviously, some days, you know, if you're in a rushy car, but the shower is just one for me. It's just everything's there. So you feel refreshed because it's the physical side. The mental side, you've got five minutes to yourself, especially when you've got kids and you're busy. You know, just to get in that shower, or even when I'm away or at home, just to get that shower in that morning, it's just five minutes just for me, just to get ready. It takes you away from everything. No one else can, well, it could be, you know, if you're having a good time, but no one else can be in that shower if you can then. So like, it's just your time just to get yourself set. And that's the best one for me. Yeah. Okay. Amazing, mate. And it's one that I think nearly everybody does as well. So they, if they can approach it mindfully, then hopefully they can get the same benefit. Yes. Yeah. All right, Luke, love this conversation so far, by the way. Every episode on the Take Flight podcast, we do three questions and it's the same three questions at the end. Yep. And the whole point is that people who are listening can take immediate, actionable advice away. Perfect. So generally speaking, the answers are geared from your experience. So the first question of that is, is there anything you've experienced or discovered recently that you are particularly excited about? Yes, extremely. Um, I'm a big believer in your values and beliefs and I've always... I've been an entrepreneur since being, you know, they could do a full podcast on my entrepreneur background from starting a six-year-old with a little, you know, digger pack around my side and going around digging people's gardens to selling CDs, DVDs, all the way through Ugg Boots, GHDs, all the way through, I can tell you a full story. (laughs) So I believe that that's what I love to do, business. And I do, I love business, I love interactions. My values has always been a little bit different. Like I told you, I found Buddhism at a young age. And that's something that keeps pulling. I think sometimes you can get conflicting values. But I think I've learned to better sync the two so that I don't ever let anything, so like possession-wise, I believe, you know, go and get what you want in life and own it, but never let that thing own you. So, and I think that's where people go wrong, you know. They forget that everything is a tool. So a car is a tool. A house is a tool. Social media is a tool. So you use those tools. Don't let those tools use you. And that's something that I'm really getting into now, you know, and social media's got its own you know, stuff that I'm, I'm looking into. I mean, with dopamine loops and, you know, raising people's serotonin and lowering the cortisol and all that stuff. But I think, actually, the biggest thing I'm excited about at the minute is disattachment. So, a, you know, detachment or detachment, detachment, I can't even say it. Detachment. So detaching yourself away from ideas, you know, away from things, you know, possessions, materials. It's a big thing in Buddhism where, you know, you really got to get away from, you know, completely wanting to own everything and everything be, you know, and count on everything. So when you smash your phone or like you lose something, a physical, 
it's not really the end of the world, is it? But we all make it that way and we get so caught up with possessions and material things where none of it really matters. So I think that that's where I'm going down that road. I'm, I'm taking a bit of a spiritual path at the minute, I'd say, and I'm really enjoying it and I'm really enjoying that that thought process of that emptiness, of that not really depending or counting on anything um, and putting more time into people and what value you can get out of that because those connections and that love is, is what will outlast any shelter any clothing, you know, any food or any of a car or watch or anything else. Yeah. Connections will last much longer. Yeah, amazing. I think it's such a good good point. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. So the second question is, actually, do you know what? We've already spoken about it a little bit already about the routines and stuff. But the second question is always, if you had to give somebody one piece of advice for them to add something into their daily routine that's going to help their performance, what would that one thing be? Get focused. Just focus, whether that be using a journal, whether that be using your mindset. Just get your focus on. And it's like um, if you started, that's what a lot of people do is, right? It's like, you know, if you're digging a hole, what a lot of people are doing is at minute is they're digging multiple holes. They might have six holes going on and they're never really getting anywhere, but they're digging, 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 digging. And then you get one person who has like a laser focus and they just stay in that one hole. And yeah, if they need to, they need to change. They might change direction, but they're staying in that hole. They know where they're going, so they're all right. They might hit a bit of a rock, but then they'll turn and they'll go. But these other people are digging, 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 digging because they want to focus on that, 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 that. And they want everything. And they never get anywhere because they're just, they're doing half-assed on that, half-assed on that, and they're never moving forward. So that's the way I view it. And it's like having that laser focus, but knowing that shit, you know, as you're digging, you're going to hit a rock. Um, So you can't carry on going that way or a pipe around it yeah. and just keep moving forward as long as you know where you're going yeah. um, but also know that when you do get to where you want at times in life and it's a side note that a lot of time you'll get in your go is this it so it's always it's, I don't believe where you're going is as important as who you become in the process so it's not where you're going it's like you driving home at night right back to London you know it's, we always focus on the destination of where we're going and as you're driving home you go down that bit of M1 M25 units and roadworks so you have to get detoured right some people either get stuck in them roadworks and get pissed off and they stay in them roadworks forever and get so bitter that someone stopped them getting where what to be. Or some people go, okay, don't worry about it. I've got to go M25, I've got to go around M25, I'm still going to get where I need to be. But it's not necessarily when you get there that's the thing. It's like, who do you become? Because every destination you get to, you keep moving anywhere. Yeah. So you've got to stop and look at sometimes and go, who have I become in this process from this journey that I've been on? You know, from this mountain I've climbed, from this business I've set up, from this relationship I've entered, from this gym sessions have started who have I become what type of person have I become as a product of taking this sacrifice yeah mate that's so good and I love that bit but just to go back on what you said at the beginning of that focus. when you about focus yeah get clear yeah do you know what it's really interesting you're saying that because I've really noticed uh, before the last two weeks when I drank too much alcohol over the World Cup yeah um, when I was in a really good headspace something that I noticed had a massive massive impact on me was just doing one thing at a time yep. so just if I am on my phone and I'm putting a post up or I'm speaking to someone on WhatsApp I'm just doing that I'm not then trying to talk to my wife I'm not trying to watch something on TV I'm not trying to send an email I'm just having that conversation and I suppose that comes back to the stuff you're talking about being present and being in the here and the now and trying to feel that but I, I was so I guess distracted and doing lots of things at once when I tried to dial into just doing the one thing at a time, I felt so much better. I got rid of that feeling of like overwhelm and everything, and I found it hugely beneficial. So, nice. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? It's just getting that focus and clear. Yeah, massively, mate, just the I clarity. I like that. like that as well. Yeah. Just doing one thing at once. Yeah. Uh, and the last question, mate, is imagine that there's two versions of Luke Gambler. Take yourself back to, let's say, just before 
I mean, it's difficult to say, but let's say uh, just as you're about to get dropped by the Leeds Rhinos, what's the key differentiator between those two versions of Luke? One of them, the one who's sat in front of me right now, who's gone on and had all the success that you've had to date, and the other one who perhaps wouldn't have acted, what would the thing have been that that version of Luke didn't do? Didn't take action. That Luke just decided to, to give up, to say, play the victim. I got let go by Leeds. You know, the manager didn't like me. My rubber crew's going down in Halifax. You know, now I've found myself running with police and then I'm drinking. My missus had left me. And that guy would have just carried on focusing on that. The looks out before you refocus that and decided that what's next. Yeah. Amazing, man. Mate, that's it. Absolutely loved it, mate. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely loved it. So for people listening, where can they find out more about you? Where can they see all your all your journey and all the successes you're gonna have? My website all the most info and I'm I'm gonna be starting actively with my blog a bit more, so lookamble.co.uk. And who knows after doing this amazing, you know, podcast review, I might even I might even look at getting some more content out of myself. Yeah, yeah, do it. You know, um I'm going down some different routes at the minute, you know. I I read a um a post once. Uh, I got chatting I came off social media once for you know, about thirty days or something like that and it was one of the most refreshing I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was just great and it's not what I want to do, but when you're running businesses and like with my journals and all that, to do that is a difficult thing at times. But I'm getting to a point now where I wanna just add value to people. So and um and it said one of these posts said and I was chatting to a friend about it. In a world where everyone is overexposed, the coolest thing you can do is maintain your mystery. And I start to think about that. Because um, we're all overexposed, aren't we? You know, people know where you are, people know what you're doing, people know everything. And I think I'm going to get to a point where, you know, I could take that plunge at some point just to come off it all. You know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram story, and Facebook Messenger, Facebook private account, Facebook public account, Facebook Andy's Live. Man Club account, Facebook Live, BU account, and then BU Twitter, BU Insta, Andy's Man Club Facebook account, his Man Club Insta, and you're thinking, when does it ever end? You know, so I'm getting to a point where I'm thinking, you know what, like, what do you want? You know, so like, do I want to have that complete social media presence all the time? And, a guy told me a story today, and this will this might blow a few people's minds. It did me today anyway. And a guy, Colgate, you've heard of Colgate, right? Colgate are market leaders and in toothpaste, and all the professionals were doing it. So what they did is the, the shareholder said to the CEO, basically, like, we need more profits. He's like, we're market leaders. Like, we can't sell to anyone else. Like, we're market leaders. Well, the shareholders, you know, we want more profit. So he's like, right. So you've got all the best top wigs in of marketing world, social media world, and he sat them all around a table. And he says, what can we do to make us bigger? Everyone's scratching their head and everyone's like, God, no, so he got pissed off. See how Colgate did. So he walked out of the room and he, he just had to have a little walk around things. He ended up walking through a warehouse. I don't know if you've heard this. Mm-hmm. He's walking through a warehouse and there's um, a guy there and he's like, can I help me? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm CEO. Colgate's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's not I'm upstairs, I'm going to meet him with some board of directors and that he's like oh yeah you know you guys come every six months don't you and he was like I must have why are you in this I've got a problem he's like well I'll do you a deal this is one of the guys in the warehouse if you can get my boss to sign me off for two weeks holiday because I want to take my kids to Florida I'll help you with your problem he's like you don't know what it is he goes I'll help you with your problem if you do that for me he's like okay if you can help me with this problem I'll do that for you he goes so what's your problem he goes, well, we need to sell more toothpaste. He goes, mate, you're all bigger. 
And he goes, what do you mean? He says, well, the length of the toothpaste is always the same. Everyone squirts it the same length, length of toothbrush. But no one ever looks at how thick it is. So if you move it by millimetre, it means that you'll save three days. So you'll give people who use it in three days faster, which will increase your sales. And they did. So he ended up giving the guy two weeks holidays. <laughs> and it just shows that sometimes you think outside the box. So I'm thinking on this social media journey, you know, the market appreciates value. So people will always find you if they need you. You know, you found me without social media, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So the market appreciates value. So I'm thinking of maybe going down a, a members-only area on my, fa- on my um, website so that people can get that type of access. So that's where I'm thinking the next steps are for me. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that sounds great, mate. Coming off that Twitter, coming off that Facebook, that Instagram. Because I've came off it and came back on it and everyone who were on it before doing exactly the same. They're still taking photos of that champagne they're out on a weekend. They're still taking like boomerang of the car with the coffee to show that they've got a BMW or a Range Rover. It's all the same shit, you know, and I'm thinking maybe it's time just to um, take that plunge. Yeah. Nice, mate. It's such an interesting one. It's such a hot topic as well at the minute. I think that the other thing you can do if you want to stay on it is just be really mindful of who you're following. Well, I don't. This is the thing, though. I don't ever really like own stuff or scroll. I just post. Yeah. But even with that, comes a level of, you could call it anxiety for people of, how often should I post? Yeah. yeah I read yeah. to me once that one guy said, like, you've got to post three times a day. I know. And I was like, so I started doing it and I started feeling like, I've got no to post. <laughs> and then I, I watched a video and I highly recommend it to anyone. It's YouTube, Quit Social Media. It's a doctor on a TEDx talk and he tells you about quitting social media and it's such a powerful, um, real powerful. It's not Cal Newport, is it? Yes. Is it? Dr. Cal Newport. Yeah. I've seen it. I haven't, but I've read the book and he's got a chapter about oh, it. Oh, God, so powerful. Yeah. It makes you think. And he's on about how oh, any 16-year-old with an iPhone can go on Instagram, Twitter, or anything. Yeah. Scary. Think about it. And like, they can post what they want. So really, there's no value with that. Because yeah. even a 16-year-old who's uneducated in any field can start posting about that stuff. So really, it just devalues it. And the market values rarer. Yeah. And I think that comes back to what we were talking about off-air before around the comparison game and everyone always wanting to beat the person who sat next to them and it's not a place of, of positivity and, and, and health actually in the long run. Yeah, and I was chatting to a governor of a prison today and he made a good point now. We were chatting to his um, secretary. Yeah. Um, I about the problem with social media is you go on there and there's people like saying negative things and that pulls you down. But then there's people who are putting on their life's great and it looks like a lot better than yours and then that pulls you down. It's like mm-hmm. a double-edged stamp down and that got me thinking that's like probably bang on in it really with how, it, how it's going and how it is so yeah it's a difficult one because the problem I get is like whenever I break I get people messaging me saying like you know I, your posts keep me going so then I'm like how do I keep that yeah. balance of feel responsible yeah and like yeah. and it is nice sometimes but I just think do you go down one channel do you just go right I'm just on Twitter I'm yeah. just on Instagram or I'm just a Facebook like what you know it's just getting that balance so I think you know, someone's got to give, I think the society's ready to implode, you know, no one's really truly, a lot of people are truly happy at the minute, um, a lot of fakeness, so I think soon things will change. Yeah. Mate, I love it, it's been really good. You mentioned a story before we started recording, you had a conversation with your dad, I don't know whether you want to tell the story and, and see that as a way to round off the episode or... Yeah, I can I can tell you about it, um, you know, it was probably more powerful for me because it's my old man. So, you know, you all, everyone gets brought up by the parents telling them stories. So, you know, my dad's always told us how we were poor and my mum even used to back that up and they had to have been together, but she used to back it up that my dad went to like, like one of 
well, it got shut down. It was on TV. It was called the Ridings at the time, Ovenden School, and it was on TV for how bad it was in our country. And it was a rough school. My dad went there, and and his nickname at this poor school, where most of the kids there were poor, was Candle Boy, because he didn't let them have electricity right in his house. My dad didn't old. You know, everyone had electricity. Mm. Uh, my granddad wasn't a very nice man. Uh, my, my grandma was a lovely lady, from what I've been told. And my granddad was a very violent man, but my dad tells a story where, um, and I never expected him to like, tell this, but he'd woke up one morning, uh, he was a kid, and he'd woke up, it's like he can feel like water on his face, like, like you know, like drops on his face, so he's like, woke up, and the cardboard on the window that I'm being replaced, the window I'm being replaced, the cardboard is letting rain in. So he's woking up, and he's, um, he's about six year old. And he's looked down on the floor and he's found his clothes from yesterday and he's put them on. He's gone downstairs and there's, there's no food at all in the house because they, they literally had nothing. So he decided to go out and he said, when he went outside, his, his friends were all in a bit of a good spirit. Little old lady around the road, she's dead. So um, and what that meant was when someone had died that they could go rob a house, you know, because they didn't have it. So they all decided that they've already, apparently they'd already put like a, they already tried, you know, got in window. No one's been around the house or out, so they know that it's safe to go later on. So they've all got excited, gone round. My dad's got a little black hoodie on and that, and they've gone round and all big lads are in the house first, all older ones. My dad got youngest at a lot, and my dad's climbed in at end. And they're all, like, running around the house, like, finding TV and, you know, um, jewellery and all that stuff, and they try to get everything. And my dad said, I went straight to the kitchen. I said, it was like a gold mine. There were rice pudding, there was soup, there were bread. So I just started filling bag up and said, and then suddenly it was really weird, like the house had gone so quiet, like that like era. I looked around and like, everyone's gone. So it's like, what's happened here? So the next minute my dad like gets a bit more food, chucks it in bag, climbs out the window and he has his hand, it just grabs him and throws him against the wall. It's a police officer. So get out of here, I say, oh shit. And we've got us all lined up against the wall. And then it's police officer give you a clout. So my dad said, I'll dress like all in black. And the guy's like, oh, I think you're a cat burglar. Look here, because my dad was dressed all in black. So he slapped my dad around back at head. And he's given him all a slap. And he's gone, right, let's look in your bag. All the rest are holding TVs and jewellery. And he's like, start looking at my dad's bag. And it's like, super nice. Like, where else is the rest of it? And my dad's like, it's all I've got. So he pulls my dad around the corner. And he goes, right, listen, you little shit. He says, um, take that food home with you. Make sure you tell your mum what you've done. He said, and then just give me a little slap on back at head. And I went home. I brought his food home with my mum, and my mum was buzzing. Like she was so like my mom were really excited because I had no food, and he said I emptied it all out. I said, "Mom, just save me this tin of rice pudding. It's all I want. Everyone else can everything else. Just save me this rice pudding." So I eat it. She said, "Don't worry, Duncan," and she ate it for me. That day, then he says, um, "I'd um, gone and done my paper round because he did a paper round at six. Did paper round. He's done all the paper round. He's come back and he's shattered." And then that night, my granddad, um, was notorious, he was a bit of an hard man, but he was not a nice hard man. Me step-grandma at the time had come round to the house and she must have said, um, he's out tonight, you know, which meant he's coming back to break someone, right? So they all had the back door open just in case. My dad sat in room at six with his mom and his stepmom, and they're all sat there and, and next minute door goes, boom, kicks off hinges. And my grandma was proper fast and so they've all ran out back at the house, jumped over the wall and all had behind the wall and he's come out steaming, ready to just bray them all like, you're all gonna, I'm going to kill you all. And some old man's come out and said, you know, we stopped. You know, be quiet. So then he goes to get old man to bring old man and my dad and that shaking behind wall, and they start. My, my dad starts to fall asleep, and my grandma and because police come, twenty police officers literally come, grab my granddad to get him in back of the van, get him and gone. And they were still worried that he'd gone to the waiter, and my dad started falling asleep, and me, my mum was like, "Come on, Duncan, you know, let's get you to bed. You got your paper round it morning." So my dad goes back in the house, 
goes to sleep, gets woke up in the morning, paper round, heads up paper round, comes back that day and me my grandma says, Alright, Duncan, um, I've just got to go out. I need you to go do your wooding. And what that meant was my dad had go out and collect wooding for, for fire, for um bath. So they used to light wood and it'd heat bath up so then everyone could get this bath. So he's exhausted because he had let in his sleep the night before. Um, he's seen all that of his dad and now he's got to go out and wood in it. I just could not be bothered. So I knew a little stash. It was just looking next door, but next street down's a fence. So I just went down, took a fence off. You know, six year old carrying this fence back, come back, smash it all up. You know, and then my mum's lit it all up and then it's everyone's in before me because they're all older. You know, and then babies are in before me and I end up, I've done all this and then I'm in Bath last. You know, by that point, I've had five brothers and sisters. It's always, you know, not a good water after it's cold. So after that, you know, I remember my mum trying me off and um, he said, it's just been a, and there's a bit longer of a story, I've tried keeping it down here. He said, uh, my mum's drying me down and I start laying down on the couch and I just got this sudden rush from my body. And I remembered like, this weekend's been bad, but I've got my rice pudding and I'm really excited. So I run into the kitchen, like sprinted in, still got a towel around me, sprinted in and it's gone. It's just emptied in there. And I'm absolutely, I can't stop crying. I'm just devastated. All I want to do is one bit of little rice pudding that I'd been and got. And my mum come in and said, don't worry, Duncan, I saved you something. We're in a little, like, you know, baby pots. He said, so to savour it, I wanted to, I ate it with my finger because I wanted to eat, enjoy every little bit because I'm not eating that day. He said, so I'm just eating every little bit with my finger, just appreciating every little grain of that rice pudding. And then I started to nod off. I sat in front of the fire we're on. My mum were there and start to nod off. My mum started to say, Duncan, Duncan. So I said, yeah. He said, and then I've woke up and I'm on a beach in Mauritius. And it's my stepmom now said, Duncan, Duncan. Jeff's here, he said, do you want your steak? And he's gone, what? He said, I'm a bit, he said Jeff's here, he said, do you want your steak here? Or do you want to go eat it back at hotel? And he said, so there's a solution. He said, yeah, we'll have it here. And he said, the whole thing started because he'd seen a guy arguing with guy's like pissed up arguing with a woman on beach and as he's seen that it's brought him back for no, 40 yeah. years to a story they'd not thought about for 40 years and that's when he fell asleep on that bed and dreamt the full, and remembered the full story and then as he oh, not fell asleep but shut his eyes and he'd sparked that memory so he thought about it all and then when he'd started nodding off he went to my stepmom saying wake up Shit. and I just thought like where he'd come from from sat on a beach in Mauritius eating a steak to looking out and eat a tiny pot of rice pudding for his own one meal that day with a tiny little finger to eat at a six year old and it just shows how far he'd come and it just absolutely knocks socks off me wow. and I was like shit you know and we've got people complaining because they don't get enough Christmas presents or birthday presents and how are his life you know and it's crazy really when you think about it mate such a powerful story man thanks for sharing no thanks hey, just something that we were chatting about earlier that yeah. I just thought about that man it's yeah. amazing appreciate it mate yeah Man, thanks so much for doing it. I've absolutely loved it. It's likewise, mate. Likewise, and, yeah. um, you know, take flight. Take flight. That's it. Take action. Take flight. Love it, man. Thank thanks, you. Luke, mate. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much to Luke Ambler for giving me the time. I absolutely loved sitting down with him and recording that episode. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. There were so many things that I loved about that. I think one in particular was 
the B from the BU journal and how we should all think about whether if we sting someone we're going to hurt ourselves. And that's something I'm being particularly mindful about over the next couple of weeks. So I'm sure that's going to help. And there was so, so much more to take away. I think the story that Luke ended on at the end was so, so powerful. I think in the modern day with social media and all these things that are so easy for us to use and get our hands on in this instant gratification world, we don't realise where even our parents came from and what they went through. And we're so fortunate in the modern day and, and sadly we take it for granted more often than not. But hopefully you enjoyed that chat. You can follow Luke. He's got so much inspirational chat and content that he puts out. And I'm so grateful for Luke for coming on and doing that chat. It was really, really enjoyable. As ever, thanks so much to everyone for listening. I really appreciate you giving the time. If you get a moment to click five stars or less on the review, then that would be amazing as well. I'd really appreciate it. I think we're in around 90 to 95 reviews at the minute. So it's really helpful just to get the podcast a little bit more exposure and get more people listening and hopefully helping more people. So that would be hugely appreciated if you haven't done that so far. And enjoy the rest of your week. I'll look forward to putting out another episode soon. No guests confirmed just yet, but I'm working on it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, and we'll be launching that soon. In the meantime, stay positive, stay motivated, and take flight.